6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Job, chapters 6 through 14. Well, we're exploring the book of Job. We're in the third session. We were privileged in chapter 1 to be uh, aware of a conversation that Job did not know about between Satan and God, and uh, where God challenged Satan. And uh, as a result, God permitted Satan to take away all his possessions. And then uh, and he quitted himself very well, disproving Satan's premise that he's strictly self-motivated. Touch his flesh and then see what happens. Well, God let him do that. So he's lost his health. So here's Job. Now he lost all his possessions, including his family. He lost his health. He's in very, very serious shape. But the real devastating gambit of Satan were these three friends. The three friends that come to comfort Job. And with that kind of comfort, you don't need enemies. And last time, uh, we went through the first uh, of these of the three discourses that make up what I'll call round one. We heard about Eliphaz. These three, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Eliphaz, the eloquent. He's the polite one, a little older than the others, very eloquent, but he gets less courteous each time he speaks. Each of these guys are going to speak three times. And uh, we're going to go through, we're, we, we heard about Eliphaz's last time, and that brought us up to chapter six. And we're going to uh, take a look now in chapter 6. And uh, they're, they're rather extensive. We're sort of trapped here because if we just summarize them, uh, you really miss what's going on. And yet the way to go through these is to actually go through the discourses, but rather quickly, and we'll highlight some things as we go. So let's just jump into Job chapter 6. And here Job in chapter 6 and 7 is replying to the first of these discourses by Eliphaz uh, last time. In, in chapter 6, he, 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 uh, he rebukes his, not just Eliphaz, but all three of them, because he, they really have been in collusion, by the way. In chapter 5, there's a reference to the fact that they actually had uh, conspired together. For a week, they didn't say a word, as Job sat on this rubbish heap. And, uh, but now they, and I suspect, many scholars seem to infer that these, uh, all these discussions take place in one day. For seven days they were silent, but now they're, they're really having at him. One of the startling things about these discourses is it's hard to find anything in them that isn't true, isn't correct theology, and yet they're wrong. In other words, part of the, the reason this gets so much study by scholars is because you can't, you find it hard to attack any specific thing they say, and yet the composite of what they're saying is way off base. The lessons in Job are many. 
Many people say, well, it's why do the innocent suffer? It's not what it, if that's what it's all about, it never answers that question. Uh, there's some much more deeper fundamental lessons here. It's the oldest book in the Bible, and these are the oldest lessons in the Scripture. But anyway, let's hear what Job says to Eliphaz in chapter 6. Chapter 7, he'll get, turn his... Chapter 6 is focusing on his three friends, and Job's going to switch and, and talk to... Uh, uh, direct his complaint, if you will, to God. Uh, Job chapter 1, uh, Job chapter 6, verse 1. But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together, for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up. Well, one of the things as we go here, I think I want you to get a flavor, is the eloquence. Even in the translation, in the Hebrew, it's even more eloquent. This is really like a, uh, a, a poetic play with program notes in front, in the front end and the back end. And, uh, but the eloquence is very lofty. And this is a, this is a, 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 a document that we believe was put together probably in the days of Abraham in Northwest Arabia or Southeastern uh, Edom. Uh, one of the old, it's the oldest book in the Bible, but it's incredibly eloquent. Anyway, continuing verse four, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me, the poison whereof drinketh up my spirit, and the terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Doth a wild ass bray when he hath grass, and loweth the ox over his fodder? You never, what he's saying, in effect, you never hear an animal complain when he is well fed and taken care of. And that's why he's complaining, because he's not well fed and taken care of. Verse 6, Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Is there any taste in the white of an egg? <laughs> the things that my soul refused to touch are as my sorrowful meat. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Then should I have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare. Have I not concealed the words of the Holy One? What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh of brass? Is it not my help in me, and is wisdom driven quite from me? What he's really saying here is, I have no strength in all of this. Have you ever been that desperate? One of the things we're really going to come across is just how desperate Job is. He doesn't have any answers. He's seeking the answers. And... uh, And he, strangely enough, even though he's totally frustrated, he cannot understand his predicament. It doesn't attack his faith in God. That's what Satan's trying to do. This is Satan's worst attack, worse than the previous things, really. But the one thing that uh, comes through here, you know, he recognizes that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Still, Job's cry goes unanswered so far. Now, uh, to give you a glimpse ahead, these three guys are going to have Adam, and he's going to try to respond, increasingly frustrated. But you're going to see Job grow in faith as it develops. This is a, there's another dimension to this where God is doing this to Job for his own growth, actually. But and and it gets it, the, the fun part of the book in my mind. These dialogues take a big chunk of the center of the book, but the fun part to me is the is what comes following. But one of which is when God Himself answers for Job this, these enigmas. But so anyway, he he's rebuking his friends and he's getting increasingly irritated by their lack of understanding his predicament. Picking up at verse 14, To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend, and he that forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. Uh, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as a stream of brooks they pass away, they, they, which are 
blackish by reason of the ice and wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their way are turned aside. They do nothing and perish. The troops of Tima looked, and the companies of Sheba waited for them, and they were confounded because they had hoped, and they came thither and were ashamed, and now ye are nothing, and ye see my casting down, and are afraid. Or putting another way, that, uh, that uh, uh, another writer in the scripture talks about, they're like wells without water. There's refreshing as a dry riverbed. In that part of the country, they have what they call wadis. In California, we have many of them too. They're, uh, they're dry in the summer, just a gravel, a little depression in the ground. Yet in the winter, they can be rushing streams. But uh, so he's saying, in effect, he's saying they're, they're, his comforters are as refreshing as a dry riverbed bed, and he's irritated with them. And he goes on here. Did I say, bring unto me, or give a reward for me of your substance, or deliver me from the enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? Teach me, and I will hold my tongue, and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forcible are right words, but what doth your arguing reprove? He's upset with them already. They haven't even got started, by the way. This was just, this is all response to Bill has this thing last time. He says, do you imagine you reprove words and the pre- speeches of one that is desperate, which are as a wind? Which <laughs> ye are, ye, yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless and ye dig a pit for your friends. Now therefore be content, look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Saying in effect, tell me what's wrong. I don't know what, I, I don't know what it is. See, he knows that there's nothing that he hasn't already confessed. Never says that Job is blameless, but I mean that he's a sinless, but he is blameless, meaning that he has dealt with his sin. He's given sacrifice. He's confessed and given. That's why he's so frustrated that he's going through all this turmoil. Third basic position is that he's obviously sinned. That's why he's going through all this. And he says, you know, show me where. Verse 29. Says, Verse 29. Return, I pray you. Let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again. My righteousness is in it. Is there any iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? See, he now turns to God, and he's going to complain about the hardness of the experience he's in. He's in real desperate shape here, going to chapter 7. He says, Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as a hireling looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed unto me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? And the night be gone. When I am full of tossings to and fro unto, unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. <laughs> you know, we get upset when we look in the mirror and maybe have a little pimple. He's got... Boils all over him that, that are oozing pus in the right. He's in a, he's in really bad shape. Verse seven. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall see no more good. Shall, shall no more see good. The eye of him that has seen me, hath seen me, shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me and I am not. The cloud is consumed and vanished away and he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. See, Job has given up in terms of getting a respite here. He doesn't understand it, doesn't know why it's happening, but he thinks he'll never see relief. And he cries out in honest despair. One thing about Job's all these, even though he has a, 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 a 
He's very frustrated. He's very straightforward, very honest about his, his, his feelings, his predicament. Verse 11, therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint. Then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than life. I loathe it. I would, I would not live always. I, let me alone, for my days are vanity. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Hast, why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? Why dost thou not pardon my transgression, take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. Now, as we, as we go through and review these discussions, remember, as we go forward here, despite the dialogue and the different points of view we're going to see, there are always two purposes in view. First is Satan's purpose. What's Satan's purpose in all of this? to use the pain of his affliction to, to afflict his body, to use the so-called comfort of his friends to irritate his soul, and to use the silence of God as an assault on his spirit to break his faith. Whatever else happens here, Satan fails at that. Now, what's God's purpose in all of this? Well, a couple of things. To teach Job some truths that he never knew before. And we're going to see that grow. His perception, his theology will change as we go through these discussions. And uh, so he, God wants to deepen his theology so that he'll understand God and himself much better. God's purpose was to answer Satan before the principalities and powers of the whole universe and to prove him wrong in his philosophy of life. That's Satan's philosophy of life. He wanted, he's providing a demonstration for all sufferers and ages to follow that God knows and he also knows what he's doing. Now, it's interesting to realize that of all this, all this trauma that Job has, the worst of it all is these comforters. They're the most severe trial of all. So, uh, so anyway, we've had uh, Eliphaz made his speech last time. Now Job has responded to this. Now Bildad, I call him Bildad the Brutal. Unlike Eliphaz, who's quite eloquent, Bildad is just... It's right. He's, he's tough. Bildad the Shuite, Job chapter 8, said, How long wilt thou speak these things? And how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment? And doth the Almighty pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for the transgression, if thou shouldest seek unto God betimes, and, and make thy supplication the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, Surely now he would wake for thee, and he would make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. See, he's arguing that God can do no wrong. And God will respond to repentance. See, Job, again, the premise is, Job, the reason you're in all this trouble is because you must have done something wrong to anger God. And God will respond to repentance. And he's going to go on and explain that the experience of history, their forefathers proved this. Verse 8. He says, For I inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. But uh, we are but of yesterday, and know nothing, because our days on the earth are as a shadow. 
Shall they not teach thee and tell thee utter words out of their heart? Now he's going to continue with a lot of platitudes of the day, by the way, as it goes on here. Can the rush grow up without mire? That's a rush, you know, like the rushes in a, in a river. They, 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 they grow in the mud. Can the flag grow without water? Whilst it is yet in its greenness and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God. And the hypocrite's hope shall perish. Whose hope shall be, uh, shall be cut off, whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house and it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. He is green before the sun, his branch sheweth forth in his garden, his roots are wrapped up about the heap and see at the place of stones. If he destroy him from his place, then it shall deny him, saying, I have not seen thee. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth shall others grow. What he's really saying is man by nature must have God's blessing in order to prosper. And God always, always cuts off those who seem to prosper because of evil in their midst. He, he closes with it now with a call to repentance. He says, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers, till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. You know, if you examine Bildad's arguments, um, much of it is true and logical as far as it goes. The problem is that it's, and it's supported by plausible arguments, both from the experience of the past and also from the testimony of Scripture. What's wrong with it then? It's what he's left out that's wrong. Again, one of the, as you really try to wrestle with the the arguments that they present, uh, what they're missing is that, uh, well, a couple of things, but not the least of which, uh, uh, they uh, it's what they leave out. So they answer Job's uh, uh, words without trying to find out what lies behind them. They are uh, zeroing in what he's saying without understanding his agony. And, of course, the other thing is that their theology is incomplete. There are aspects of God and dimensions to his word which they had not yet seen. And we're often, too, one of the lessons here is we're guilty of that, too. Uh, we often judge on the basis of some rigid theology uh, that focuses on some aspect of truth without putting it in balance with others. There is a concept of a balanced theology, and that's part of what part of what we're going to see emerge here as we go forward in, in, in these discourses. You know, it's interesting. Nowhere do these three comforters pray with Job. Prayer is absent here. Job prays to God continually throughout each one of his rebuttals. He turns to God, frustrated. Not understanding what's going on, but he's turning to, to God. The, the three comforters never do. And uh, they never ask God to open their minds and illuminate their understanding so they can help their friend. And uh, the book is full of prayers, but only Job's. Okay? Anyway, uh, you can't really find, if you try just to examine the arguments themselves, it's hard to find something wrong with them. What the lesson is for each of us is that we need to speak cautiously when we deal with deep hurts and problems of others. But Job now replies to to Bildad in chapter 9, in fact, 9 and 10, Job replies. He says, Job answered and said, I know it is of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. See, Job also, by the way, has an inadequate theology. See, he accepts the principle of suggesting that trouble only comes from sin. And uh, I said, when we went through the book of Romans, we dealt, we made a list of ten, at least 10 different reasons Christians have trials. God sends trials in our life for lots of different reasons, at least ten of them. And uh, 
but uh, this is uh, uh, Job again. See, he falls in the trap of accepting their premise here. See, he would have analyzed other people's problems before he had the same thing happen to him. See, in the long, dark hours of searching his own life, he hasn't uh, uh, been able to identify any sin which he has not already uh, dealt with. So his dilemma is, uh, I'm not aware of any unconfessed sin in my life, yet the trouble is there. Therefore, the problem may be with God, or his relationship with God. But see, he has no way to examine God, which he'll state in very eloquent terms. See, he'll start off by pointing out that God's wisdom is beyond man. Verse 4, He is wise in heart, mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him, and who hath prospered, which removeth the mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which he shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, by the way, these, these are very famous constellations because they're mentioned twice in Job. He mentions them in passing here as he just articulates the grandeur of God. This is going to come up in chapter 38. And God is going to give Job a science quiz. And I'm going to, I'll, I'll postpone till then a discovery that we've discovered about these constellations that probably not one, in this, one astronomer in a hundred knows. And yet God hints at. In, in, in Job 38. Um, it's a, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll leave it to there. We're take, we're, there's at least five, 15 scientific discoveries that uh, Job anticipates. Interesting enough. And for me, you know, the, the later part of the book is the fun part, so I'll, I'll hold off some of these things till we get there. Verse 10. Which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Now he's going to recognize God's invisibility in the next two uh, verses. Verse 11, Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away, and who can hinder him? Who shall say to him, What doest thou? And he's focusing now on God's sovereignty. If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him, whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. If I And if I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. I, he will not suffer me to take my breath, but he filleth me with bitterness. I, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if a judgment, who shall set a time to plead? Job's going to several times bring his case before God. That's forthcoming. If I justify, justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. See, there's a ray of light starting here now. And it's going to show up particularly when you get to verses 32 through 35. Life becomes incomprehensible where there's no understanding of God. But you can't understand God without His revealing Himself to you. That's what's going to come out of this. But we do need a frame of reference to make any meaning out of life. And the only frame of reference is God Himself. That's what's part of what's going to emerge here. Verse 22. This is one thing, therefore I said it, He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, He shall laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges whereof. If not, 
Where and who is he? Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself, I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands ever, uh, never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Now we're going to see. For he is not a man as I am, that's being of God. God's not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and that we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman, or that's like an umpire in our terms, no daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him, but is not so with me. See what Job is in effect saying, God is so powerful, so great, that how can he deal with him without having a mediator? Because God terrifies him. First of all, he can't really know God, and secondly, to be confronted with the majesty of God uh, causes him to tremble and so on. So he needs a mediator, someone who can understand us both and bring us together. This is fascinating in a sense because we understand from a New Testament perspective there is a mediator. God became a man and dwelt among us and uh, to to bridge that very gulf that, that Job is talking about here. And so now for the first time in this book we're getting a glimpse as why God may be putting Job through this protracted trial. And as, as Job begins to realize that part of the thing he's facing is this gigantic gulf between him and God. And uh, in Psalm 119, verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. We learn through suffering. It's not pleasant, but it's often essential. And, uh, and perhaps the most powerful draw toward intimacy is severe suffering. And that's developed in my wife's book, uh, Faith in the Night Seasons, the, the dark night that... God puts us through to bring us into real intimacy with Him. Very difficult to understand, but a crucial, crucial lesson. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Job. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music